Welcome to Stay Engaged 2021. Everything you know and love about IAB Engage, but brought to you day by day. It's Engage, but off stage. Stay Engaged is hosted in partnership with Quantcast, creators of a new and innovative intelligent audience platform. For the final episode of Stay Engaged 2021, we've collaborated with Current Affairs podcast, Oh What Now, for a very special episode. Here to set the scene and introduce her guests is regular host, Judith Horn. Britain's food supply chains are in chaos. Supermarket shelves stand empty where EU produce was once piled high. A poll in today's Telegraph finds that more than a third of the population now believes there is substance to rumours that food imported from the European Union is being deliberately poisoned, laced with chemicals which either, depending on whom you listen to, attack human fertility or cause brain disease. Some suggest we are at the mercy of a new and unidentified terrorist organisation. Others believe the alleged plot can be traced to the very heart of Brussels. Scientists have been united in their attempts to reassure the public. They have not succeeded. Here in today's United Kingdom of England, Wales and Northern Ireland, in which free-to-access quality journalism is a thing of the past, the message is not getting through. The stories of tampered food first appeared in the Russian-owned web TV service Britain Now and the Iran-backed online newspaper Prism UK. To the informed and engaged, and I know listeners to this podcast count among them, it seems obvious that this is a coordinated campaign to disrupt relations between the EU and UK, and it is working. Half our fruit and vegetables come from the EU's 18 remaining member states. In supermarkets across the country, fights have broken out in fruit and vegetable aisles as shoppers scrutinise country of origin labels. Many stores have now stopped putting EU foods on their shelves, letting it stand rotting in warehouses. Children are going without fresh and healthy foods as terrified parents put caution before nutrition. The Prime Minister's initial attempts to dismiss the stories saw her accused of being uncaring and out of touch with the fears of everyday shoppers. Now, she has angered many of our European neighbours by calling for independent inspections at continental depots. Yesterday in Alicante, 40 British holiday homes were set ablaze by vigilante protesters following similar campaigns of violence in Umbria and Provence. Hello, I'm Judith Horn, and you're listening to episode 46 of Oh What Now, the podcast which takes the biggest story of the week and asks, how on earth did we get here? Welcome, and thank you for listening. As you'll expect, I've rallied another terrific panel to chew over today's topic. Jem Sarsons is the readership editor of the British Bugle. Hello again, Judith. Vikram Chopra is a former MP and government minister who, as you'll remember, had his own notorious experience with false information. Welcome, Vic. Pleased to be here. Ruth Medley became a consumer rights advocate, I think it's fair to say rather late in life, highlighting our growing lack of access to reliable consumer information. Yes, yes, that's right. Hello, everyone. Ruth, I'm sorry, would you mind just shuffling a little closer to Vic so you're nearer that microphone? No, I'll just speak up a bit if that's all right. Oh, for heaven's sake. I didn't realise he was going to be here. I don't mean any offence, but if things get a bit argumentative... It was a fake video. No, no, I know. I'm sure it was, probably was. I assure you, 
you're perfectly safe. And joining us by audio-enhanced hologram from his home in Gran Canaria, we have Crispin Softly, author of the 2025 book Cut the Noise, which argued that people can live better, happier and more productive lives by disengaging completely from all news media. Crispin, can you hear us? Yeah. Great. No, I didn't think you'd finished. You were going to say that Cut the Noise was a best-selling book. <laughs> it's in the blurb I sent you. Oh, so he does care about reliable information. Hey, old man, Cut the Noise might have garnered great reviews and spent 20 weeks at the top of the Times bestseller list, but that wasn't why people bought it. No, they bought it because it flattered their yeah, They ignorance. bought it because of word of mouth. Friends and family recommending it to each other as it should be. It flickers when he's angry. <laughs> I'm not angry, love. I'm as calm as the sea outside my window. You're doing it again. All right. Well, we are in the midst of a crisis, and it's really a crisis of information, isn't it? One we've been sleepwalking into. Here we are in 2031. The world is connected in ways that previous generations could never have imagined. And yet almost 70% of British adults have no access to quality, well-resourced professional journalism or consumer media. Um. I think I'd take issue with that. Go on, Jim. Well, anyone who wants to read The Bugle or one of our lesser rivals can do so. They just have to pay for it. Yeah, most mm. of them are wise enough not to, love. Paying for news is not a new idea. But <laughs> is it working? News has to be funded, but if we had, I don't know, a third coronavirus pandemic now, can you imagine the distrust and the misinformation that would be swirling around? No, because our glorious leaders really earned our trust in the first two. What I would say, Judith, is... I think you make a very good argument for why people should subscribe to quality journalism, as our readers would agree. But what I'm trying to get at is, go back 15, 20 years when everything was up there on the web. All the papers, the traditional ones like yours, and then the digital platforms like Harlington or Fizzline. Fucking Fizzline. Well, but they weren't reaching people who weren't reading traditional media. Take a quiz. What kind of... Bloody biscuit, are you? Oh, come on, what is this? 2008. It evolved heaps from that. Jem was at Fizzline just before it folded. Uh. Now, the point is, you could read five different takes on the same story, all written by experienced professional journalists. You might read something outrageous on a blog, but before you shared it angrily, a little alarm bell would ring in your head and you'd have a look at your trusted media side of choice. You believed what the establishment wanted you to believe. You believed certain sources over others. Now, look, of course, paying for content isn't new. I remember very fondly the days of my youth when I'd leave a nightclub at 3am and treat myself to a nice fat first edition of the Sunday Times from the newspaper stand to entertain me on the night bus home. Wow. <laughs> You really misspent your youth, didn't but you? But <laughs> there wasn't the same overload of noise and disinformation back then. I think we'd all of us round this table agree that oh, Spanish bell peppers are not being used in some sort of biological warfare. Of course they're not. Absolute rubbish. I completely agree. Is that why you published a recipe for ratatouille in your food section last week? The only ingredient I could find was an onion. Oh, it's nice to know you're a subscriber, Vic. It's worth paying for the recipes. Most of the blogs out there you can scroll for months before you get to the actual instructions. And then when you do, it's all in cups. I've, uh, I've got rather into cooking <laughs> since I've had more time on my hands. I expect you live alone now after what you did. I didn't do anything! Anyway... 
No, the Belgians are not out to destroy us with toxic Brussels sprouts. It would make no economic sense. But you can't tell people, can you? I got shouted at and called a snob last Tuesday. There were two young women in the park where I take Hamish for his walk and toilet. And they were going on about how Poland was masterminding it all. So I went up to them and I said, very polite mind, that all the experts were saying how it was all just rubbish. And they said, oh, experts, you think you're better than us, don't you? You think you know everything. You think we're stupid. And I said I didn't think they were stupid. I didn't have enough to go on yet. But as Poland hasn't been in the EU for three years, I was minded to think they were a bit ignorant. They didn't like that. <laughs> and then I had to get the poo bags out. And that wasn't pleasant because I'm trying Hamish on this new food and it's hopeless for his tummy. It's supposed to be good quality. That's what people said online. But this is it. You can't tell what's good quality now and what's being hyped up by tricksters. Bloody reviewscape. Yes, bloody reviewscape. Do you know companies pay people to write good reviews on there? You just don't know and you can't get proper reviews of anything unless you're subscribing to something relevant. They're even putting up made-up quotes on film posters now. The most delightful film you'll see all year. Total film. Five stars. I saw that on a poster for that Tootsie remake with James Gordon. <laughs> it wasn't the most delightful film I saw all year. It was the least delightful film I saw all year. And you can't just Google to see if the review really said it. You'd think the critics would sue. No, well, they'd be suing all the time. Everyone does it. I can't stress enough. If you want proper, independent, cultural coverage, the Bugles team of critics and thinkers... Yes, really thank make... you, Gem. I'd like to move things on in a moment, but first, here's a message from one of our sponsors. Back in 30 seconds. Feeling hot but worried about your bills? Dualco's next generation green air conditioning unit powers itself entirely from the heat energy it extracts from your home. So now you can protect yourself from global warming without contributing to it. Dualco Green Aircon. It's cool. Use the code what now to save 10%. Apparently, it gives you cancer. What does? Green aircon. Really? I watched a video. I don't think... No. Wait. Or does it cure cancer? Jem Sarsons, readership editor of The Bugle. Perhaps we could turn back the clock and have a little history from you. The collapse of advertiser-funded free-to-access journalism. Sure. So a big part of it was something called block words. Ah, yes. I know about blockchains. No, block words. So when you read an article online and you see an ad embedded in it, usually that's served automatically onto your device based on what the website or your browser knows about you. So imagine you and I are looking at the same story. You might be shown an advert for cooking gadgets. Yes, that does happen. Yeah, whereas I would get shown an ad for a very high-end car or designer clothing range. But brands started to be attacked by small but very vocal bands of keyboard warriors whenever their ads appeared next to content that was seen as controversial. And the easiest solution was to allow advertisers to simply block their ads from appearing next to certain types of content, or even entire publications. It really was very broad brush. 
I mean, at the niche end of things, a lot of advertisers were outright blocking any kind of mention of LGBTQ issues. We don't say that anymore. No, we ran out of letters. All right, Grandad. Yeah, it's what we called them then. Advertisers were frightened. They didn't want people screaming boycott because their ad had appeared next to something that was either pro-trans rights or anti-trans rights or pro or anti-LGBT education. Some worried about their ad being seen next to sexually explicit content, even if that's not what it actually was. And LGBT publications saw their revenue plummet. Some folded, some downsized. And then, of course, increasingly, advertisers were avoiding anything that was seen as depressing or bad news. What happened with the 2020 pandemic is advertisers just started blocking anything to do with the virus, which, of course, was about a third of all content. If I saw some baked beans advertised next to some story about a tsunami, I wouldn't think, oh, right, Cross and Blackwell are pro-tsunamis now, are they? Oh, give this woman a medal. And furthermore, we actually think that people are more responsive to ads when they're emotionally engaged with a new story. When people feel insecure or frightened or that things are outside their control, purchasing can give them back a sense of agency. I hope I'm not that susceptible. Though, now I think of it, I did buy Hamish when the new royal yacht sank. Oh, did you? Well, it's nice that something good came out of it. And my juicer. And my grow lamp and my barbells. Uh, might I just ask? Go ahead, Vic. Uh, what brand of juicer did you get? I think it's a Breville. If advertisers had worked with us, we could have found meaningful ways to improve targeting, but a lot of it was happening at such a distance. So what happened next was up came the paywalls. We held out as long as we could. At The Bugle, we believe in the power of information and analysis. But good journalism costs money. It requires revenue. And you protected it with all your might. Uh, that's true. When I was at the Department for Media, Free Speech and the Digital Landscape, online publishers lobbied us very hard to legislate against people sharing paywalled content. People were sharing screen grabs of brilliant stuff that we'd invested time and money to make. It's no different to stealing a book off a shelf. In 2025, your paper had a 22-year-old master student jailed for sharing content. I think you'll find he was an activist and, no, a court of law had that criminal jailed. But that really is old news. The technology's so smart now, it just shoots anything down as soon as it's posted. For a year or two, us oldies got a huge discount. They've stopped doing that now. We should talk about social media. Oh, God, must we? Social media platforms were being deprived of a lot of their most shareable content. Valuable content, which they weren't generating. And they retaliated. They stopped giving prominence to professional content like yours over anything else that was out there. Would you not say that contributed to your decline? Uh, what decline? The Bugle staff is a third of what it was in 2022. Uh, look, modern ways of working mean that efficiency... When was the last time you undertook a significant landscape-changing piece of investigative journalism? Well, I don't know what you'd count, but... Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> look, we do what we do on the resources we have. Oh, come on. I thought you'd broken. No, I put myself on pause while I went for a slash and made a cuppa. L listen, love, you write what your readers want to read. It's no different to any radical blog out there. <laughs> listen, love, our readers are our customers. We have no real reach beyond them. It's not like the days of, well, the expenses scandal. Oh, honestly, that's ancient history. You'd have been in school. Oh, that's right, primary school. 
three grand pianos, was it, Vic? One was an upright. It's not like back then when one paper story could set the country talking. But you must see that that's a threat to our democracy. You're just so terrified, aren't you? Sorry, I get it, Judith, I really do. You're a journalist, sort of. You used to be a bigger one, but you've devoted your life to Westminster tittle-tattle. But most people are just not interested. That's good. That's healthy. You can't force people. Crispin, could you pass the water, please? He's a hologram. (laughs) Nice one, Boomer. Ruth, here you go. Now, Crispin, in 2025, you published your best-selling book, Cuts the Noise, and many people would argue that that didn't help in the way it shaped attitudes to news. Oh, babe. Didn't help. I help millions of people to free themselves from having their fears exploited by an elite class of journalists and from having their taste dictated to by content makers who think they know better than the rest of us. <clears throat> One minute you'd be reading some horror story about climate change or scarce resources. The next thing you'd click over to a massive feature on why you needed a new dishwasher or a, <laughs> a pair of trousers. Complete hypocrisy. Can you believe... Most people used to start their day by popping on the news to learn about some coup thousands of miles away in bloody Venezuela. Or listening to some pair of oversensitive academics hand-wringing about whether an American president had said something problematic. All that stress over stuff that wouldn't affect your life one bit if you weren't forced to hear about it. It takes up valuable space in the brain. People used to say that religion was the opium of the people. Well, it wasn't. News was. I set people free. And now we've got chaos in my local waitress and an unaccountable shower of a government. Ah, they're your party. They were my party. And he'll cry if he wants to. I'm not (laughs) crying. (laughs) But I think we're overlooking the biggest factor in the decline of free-to-access content. God, I hate that word. And what is that factor? The BBC. You defunded the BBC. And you cheered us on. Biggest mistake of my career. First we cut news, then we pulled funding from the whole corporation. This is quite an about turn. Oh, I still agree with it in principle. Governments should have no business funding news or entertainment. Hmm. In practice, it was a disaster. Two years later, they abolished the requirement for any digital terrestrial broadcast services to provide news, TV, then radio. I'll tell you what it is, right? They expect you to subscribe to everything these days. I've got a list here. You've got Netflix, BritBox, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, IKEA Dreamworld, Sky. Mm. You've got dating apps. They're expensive. My grandson's got five different gay dating apps on his Nintendo visor. It must be the same men on all of them. I know there are more gay people now, good on them, but there can't be that many. You'd be tripping over them. <laughs> it used to be like that every time you went to Broadcasting House. Now, Vic. I'm not having a pop, I'm just saying. Uh, is that why you defunded them, Vic? Of course Vic not. Chopra says defund the BBC because there are too many gays. You, <laughs> look, you smug little git. All right, all right. And there's the music. Gay music? What? No, I'm talking about the subscriptions. Spotify and Apple. Never mind your Ocado Instant Gold Delivery membership. It all adds up. (laughs) The National Trust. Tate Bloody Gallery. I always forget to cancel before it renews. 
You can never leave. It's like being in the mob. Most people only have capacity for eight subscriptions, so you're not going to have more than one or two news sites or magazines, if that. Unless your work pays for them, and without good information, you don't know what's good or not, and you don't know what's real or not. Sorry, Ruth. Where's that coming from? Uh, it's from here. There's some arsehole shouting in the street outside. I'll close the window. Thanks, Crispin. We'll be back after this message. Are you tired of getting another carton of broken eggs in your groceries? Aldi's new fleet of gyroscopic delivery drones comes with BMW soft landing technology. So whether you like them scrambled, fried or boiled, we always serve your eggs just the way you like them, in one piece. Use the code OWHATNOW to get 5% off your next order. We were talking about what's real and what isn't, and I think that's a good point to touch on your experiences with deep fakes, Vic. If it was a fake. It was a fake. Everyone knows that now. Oh, it was horrible. I could hardly watch. Look, we all enjoyed those early ones. Lord Rees Mogg DJing, Nigella Lawson making a cocaine pavlova. They were a bit of fun. You could still... Sort of tell. Our tech test can still tell. They couldn't when it mattered. In 2027, a video was sold to the Daily Mirror which appeared to show Vic Chopra very savagely beating up a member of his household staff. <laughs> household staff! <laughs> I think it was just meant to be a bog-standard cleaner. I remember the blood. I don't have household staff. I had one housekeeper. It was brutal. It but was. it wasn't me. It's funny because no cleaner ever came forward to deny it happened. That's because she didn't exist. In spite of my denials, in spite, I should say, of the Prime Minister believing me wholly innocent, I was sacked because of the Ferrari. My constituents recalled me. I lost a by-election. Political career in tatters. And you know what really stinks? I am the last British government minister ever to resign over a scandal. Now, we're so used to the idea of deep fakes that nobody believes genuine evidence anymore. I happen to know that the footage of the qualities minister making those appalling jokes with her in turn was 100% authentic. Oh, it was. We got the scoop. Ah, and yet, she stays in office. Because who cares? But the big scandal is the favours, the backhanders. You don't investigate that. People are used to corruption. They accept it. Our Prime Minister has received the most extraordinary levels of bribery. Her own husband is now the Health Secretary. There is still an enormous budget line in transport for high speed too. But nobody has seen any sign of work being done on it for two years. Where's the money going? We're talking about the potential theft of billions. Meanwhile, the Opera House has had its subsidy abolished because apparently we can't afford it. Do you know how much my tickets are now? They closed our local day centre last year. It doesn't help that they ditched freedom of information. I thought they'd be huge protests. Anyone who speaks out gets destroyed. <laughs> Look at what happened to Marcus Rashford. Oh, I was so disappointed. I organised a cake sale for him, but he's just a hypocrite. Oh, for goodness sake. It was complete fiction. Of course he wasn't evading tax, but enough people with enough resources hate him enough to put the rumours out and enough other people hated him enough to want to believe it. Now that's cancel culture. <gasps> oh, God! What was that? I, I, I don't know. What's that oh, in here? Help! Help! Crispin, are you all right? You're flickering. What did you do? Oh, someone threw a bottle through the window. I think... I think it's a... It's a petrol bomb! Oh, heavens! Oh, I need to go. Help! Are you all right? Crispin! 
I think he's gone. I think we've lost Crispin softly there. I do hope he got out in time. No, he's still sitting there. No, that's just... Uh, it, he, I think he's frozen. Right, I think we might wrap this up. Vic Chopra, Ruth Medley, Jem Sarsons, thank you for... I, I think I might just try his phone. Oh, dear. He doesn't seem to be answering. Do you think it's more of those vigilantes? They're absolute animals over there. All right, well, till next time. Do you think I should call the police? Judith, darling, do you think I could get exclusive on the audio for that bit? We'll pay. Absolutely not. I was thinking 10,000. Yes, all right. I'd have to clear it. Give me a ring. Did it have to be this way? Advertiser-supported journalism once held the powerful to account. It looked out for our safety. It helped us to navigate the thousands of entertainment options that bombard us every day. It gave us all a seat at the table. In his retirement speech last month, the legendary advertising guru Simon Coulter said the greatest regret of his career was the collapse of the relationship between advertisers and quality journalism. He said that advertisers know that placing their messages in professional, entertaining, stimulating and passionately curated environments helps them to reach people at their most engaged, open, inquiring and trusting. Those opportunities have diminished to a devastating degree. I think there could have been an alternative decade to the one we've lived through. An alternative in which advertisers and publishers worked together to understand the contexts in which messages are placed and how they're consumed, in which advertisers thought actively about the audiences they wanted to reach and the journalism they wanted to invest in, not just the spaces they thought they should avoid. An alternative in which advertisers had been not just aware, but passionately proud of their responsibility in sustaining one of the most vital parts of a healthy, equal and democratic society. I've been Judith Horne and this has been Oh What Now? Until next time, be safe, eat well, look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Oh What Now? was written for IAB UK Stay Engaged by John Bradfield and produced by Ali Rezakani. Judith was played by Joan Walker, Ruth by Annabelle Levington, Vic by Amajit Jew, Crispin by Daniel Ledbetter, and Jodie Steele played Jem. You're listening to Stay Engaged from IAB UK. Thank you for tuning in to this offstage audio session and thanks to our partners at Quantcast. If you've enjoyed this session, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. Subscribe wherever you're listening to hear the rest of the Stay Engaged sessions and for the regular IAB UK podcast.